Thank you for that. Um, if we were to go around and to share stories of your broken road and how God has led you back to him, we would be here for quite a while, wouldn't we? Um, I, I appreciate that song. That's one of my favorite, in fact. Um, I don't think the experience of walking with Christ would be as rich if he hadn't been there in the dark when we thought we had lost our way. Well, good morning, West Balls. Good to see you again. Thanks for having me. Um, we're going to talk about true grit today, or as I like to call the theme of this sermon, Guns and Moses, <laughs> because um, we're going to be talking a little bit about the law and what the purpose of the law is, God's law, as well as the grace of God and guns, lots of guns. So um, how many of you have seen it? The new one the 2010 version. Okay. From what I can tell, it looks like we have a pretty good representation. If not, you're going to know all about it today, and you'll never be able to quite watch the movie the same way after today. Um, but I've been looking forward to this ever since Pastor Todd informed me that you were doing God in the movies, because if you're, most of you probably love movies. Uh, it's, it's just something that, but, but you, as a pastor, I can't just sit down and watch a movie without looking at the embedded spiritual themes, and sometimes it destroys the uh, fun. But anyway, in 2010, uh, this American Western, it came out as the second adaptation of Charles Portis's 1968 novel, and it was previously adapted for film, if some of you may be familiar with the 1969 version that starred John Wayne. But let me give you a little brief overview, and then we're going to show you uh, several clips today. The movie chronicles the life of Maddie Ross, and she's played brilliantly in this remake. Um, this was set in, in about the 1870s, and she's a precocious... 14-year-old, very, very determined to see her father's death avenged. So she hires Rooster Cogburn, who in this version is played by Jeff Bridges, a hard-drinking U.S. Marshal who moonlights as, a, moonlights as a bounty hunter to help track down Tom Chaney, who is her father's killer. And he has fled into the Indian Territory of Oklahoma. And joining him in this hunt is Texas Ranger Labeef, played by Matt Damon, who has been tracking Chaney for another crime, for, for killing a U.S. senator in Texas. The film opens with Maddie arriving in Fort Smith, Arkansas. This is a real place. It was historically a real place. And to arrange her father's body to be transported back home. Now, historically, in the heyday of Fort, Fort Smith, Arkansas, there was a popular saying, quote, there is no law west of St. Louis and no God west of Fort Smith. And the reason they said this is because the real Fort Smith was on the border between Arkansas and Oklahoma. It was the last bastion of law and order before the frontier. And the federal court in Fort Smith had a jurisdiction of 75,000 square miles of wilderness, of lawless Indian territory, which is now the state of Oklahoma. And no jokes, please. Uh, I, I held back. Um, and there was one judge who's pictured there to oversee all those cases. Uh, this untamed country became a type of city of refuge, as we see in the scriptures, a place for outlaws to hide out in order to escape justice. So as, as you can imagine, uh, certainly for profit, but also just because there were so many fugitives of the law, there were dozens of U.S. Marshals stationed in Fort Smith and sent into this Indian territory with subpoenas to round up fugitives of the law and return them to Fort Smith, dead or alive preferably alive, because the bounty was a little bit higher than one who was brought back dead. Um, the ones who returned alive would have to eventually stand trial in Judge Parker's court, um, that picture you saw just a minute ago, and he was also known as Hanging, hanging Judge Parker, 
And as you'll see in the movie, there, there is a few of them that met the, uh, the hangman's noose. So let's show the recap. This was done by Amanda and John, and they did an excellent job of giving a recap. So if we could show that, please. Here's everything you need to know about True Grit in 5 minutes, 32 seconds. When the headstrong 14-year-old Maddie Ross learns that Tom Cheney, the criminal who killed her father, will not be pursued by law enforcement, she makes vigilante justice her prerogative. Could I hire a marshal to pursue Tom Cheney? You have a lot of experience with bounty hunters, do you? That is a silly question. I intend to see Papa's killer hanged. She seeks out the assistance of a bounty hunter purported to have true grit. Reuben Cogburn, a.k.a. Rooster, is initially uninterested in Maddie's proposal, but after some gentle persuasion, he is convinced. Marshal Cogburn? Oh. It is I, Maddie Ross, your employer. Here's the money. Now, I am to get Tom Cheney, and if you are not game, I will find somebody who is game. All I've heard out of you so far is talk. I know you can drink whiskey and snore and spit and wallow in filth and bemoan your station. The rest has been braggadocio. They told me you had grit, and that is why I came to you. Leave your money. Meet me here at 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. We'll begin our coon hunt. Rooster and Maddie set out on the hunt for Tom Cheney. They are joined by a Texas ranger named LaBeef, who is seeking out Cheney on other charges. But the partnership is short-lived when Rooster and LaBeef get into an argument. LaBeef rides off without Maddie and Rooster. It is now a race to capture Cheney. LaBeef intends to return to Texas with Cheney. Maddie plans to administer retribution for her father's murder herself. Maddie and Rooster seek shelter in a cabin in the woods. There they encounter two criminals who are part of an outlaw gang which Tom Cheney is rumored to be riding with. They find out that the outlaw gang will soon be returning to the cabin. Maddie and Cheney hide outside the cabin and wait for the outlaws to return. But before the outlaws return, LaBeef finds the cabin. Just as LaBeef begins investigating the cabin, the outlaws arrive and tie LaBeef up. Rooster rescues LaBeef and runs the outlaws off. LaBeef briefly rejoins the search with Maddie and Rooster, but leaves again when Rooster and LaBeef get into yet another disagreement. I shall make my own camp elsewhere. The Texas Ranger presses on, alone. One morning, Maddie goes to the river to collect water. There before her, on the other side of the river, she spots Tom Cheney. Cheney, who once worked with Maddie's father, recognizes her and cannot understand why she would be in the woods. Oh, what are you doing in these mountains here? I have come to take you back to Fort Smith. Well, I will not go. Cheney kidnaps Maddie. Rooster tries to save her, but he is too late. Cheney takes Maddie to his camp. There, Cheney's partner, Lucky Ned Pepper, is dismayed to learn that Rooster is nearby. He warns Rooster to stay away or he will harm Maddie. Rooster promises to ride away, and he does. Lucky Ned instructs Cheney to stay with Maddie while the rest of the gang flees before Rooster returns. He warns Cheney not to harm Maddie. But Cheney does not keep his part of the bargain. Just as Cheney draws a knife on Maddie, LaBeef appears and saves Maddie. From a great distance, Maddie and LaBeef witness Rooster confront Lucky Ned and his three accomplices. Rooster takes on all four, but the end of the confrontation finds Rooster at the wrong end of Lucky Ned's pistol. However, Rooster is saved literally by a long shot from LaBeef. 
Chaney regains consciousness and attacks LaBeef with a rock. During the skirmish, Maddie grabs a rifle and ultimately delivers the revenge she had long sought. But the kickback from the rifle's fire knocks Maddie down into a shaft. As she attempts to climb out, she finds that she is surrounded by rattlesnakes. She calls out for help. Rooster comes to her aid, but before she reaches the top, a snake bites her. Rooster pulls her to the top of the shaft and rides for the nearest town, knowing that Maddie's situation is dire. When their horse falls from exhaustion, Rooster carries Maddie the rest of the way and finds her help. Maddie loses her arm to the snake's poison, and when she wakes from her amputation, Rooster has left. As an adult, Maddie attempts to visit Rooster, but narrowly misses him before he passes away. It grieves me to tell you that you have missed Rooster. He passed away three days ago. We had some lively times. What was the nature of your acquaintance? I knew the marshal long ago. We too had lively times. If you've um, seen it and you've got a a little taste of it, and I'm going to highlight a few more in a minute, you see a lot of Christian themes woven into this. It actually was more accurately, it was more based on the book than the 68 version of it. But you see several things throughout the, the film, um, biblical references. You heard leaning on the everlasting arms, that's the hymn. Let me just name a few of them. The film actually opens with a verse from Proverbs. The very first graphic you see is um, the wicked flee when none pursueth. Um, secondly, Maddie tells the story, which you'll see in a minute, and she says, quote, no doubt Cheney fancied himself scot-free, but he was wrong. You must pay for everything in this world one way or another. There is nothing free except the grace of God. Then you see a public hanging, four men on a platform, condemned to die, and they're given a chance to make one last statement. One of the condemned men urges the onlookers to, quote, train up your children in the way that they should go, right out of Proverbs, and avoid a similar fate as his. And then the next condemned man is a little bit more defiant, and he says, I see men out there in that crowd worse than me. And they put the hood on him. And you, you hear leaning on the everlasting arms, and what a friend we have in Jesus. That is basically the soundtrack of this movie. And then when Ranger Labeef gets ready to take that long-range sniper shot, he appeals to God under his breath. And then finally, Maddie, before she sits out on this hunt with the ranger and the uh, marshal, she, she quotes part of the 23rd Psalm. So what I want to do is do a recap about the, th- the spiritual themes in this, that w- some of which you've already seen, but others that you haven't. So let's roll the clips that, um, that I put together and uh, show you without commentary some of those themes. People do not give it credence that a young girl could leave home and go off in the wintertime to avenge her father's blood, but it did happen. 
I was just 14 years of age when a coward by the name of Tom Chaney shot my father down and robbed him of his life and his horse and two California gold pieces that he carried in his trouser band. Chaney was a hired man, and Papa had taken him up to Fort Smith to help lead back a string of Mustang ponies he had bought. In town, Chaney had fallen to drink and cards and lost all his money. He got it into his head he was being cheated and went back to the boarding house for his Henry rifle. When Papa tried to intervene, Chaney shot him. Chaney fled. He could have walked his horse, for not a soul in that city could be bothered to give chase. No doubt Chaney fancied himself scot-free. But he was wrong. You must pay for everything in this world one way and another. There is nothing free except the grace of God. Is that the man? That is my father. If you would like to kiss him, it would be all right. He's gone home. Praise the Lord. Where? And train up your children in the way that they should go. You see what has become of me because of drink. I killed a man in a trifling quarrel over a pocket knife. If I had received good instruction as a child... Can you point out the sheriff? Out on the Cimarron Him with the mustaches. I would be with my wife and children today. I do not know what is to become of them, but I hope and pray that you will not slight them and compel them to go into low company. <laughs> well... I killed the wrong man as to which why I'm here. <laughs> Had I killed the man I meant to, I don't believe I'd have been convicted. The seaman out there in that crowd is worse than me. This was in your poor father's room. Now that is everything. There are no light fingers in this house. They tell me you're a man with true grit. What do you want, girl? Speak up at supper time. I'm looking for the man who shot and killed my father, Frank Ross, in front of the Monarch boarding house. The man's name is Tom Chaney. They say he's over in Indian Territory, and I need somebody to go after him. Dearest mother, I'm about to embark on a great adventure. I have learned that Tom Chaney has fled into the wild, and I shall assist the authorities in pursuit. You know that Papa would want me to be firm in the right, as he always was. So do not fear on my account. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. The author of all things watches over me, and I have a fine horse. I did not want him brought to Texas to have a Texas punishment administered for a Texas crime. That was not our agreement. What you want is to have him caught and punished. I want him to know that he's being punished for killing my father. Well, send the news to my brother, George Garrett. He is a Methodist circuit rider in South Texas. 
I will meet him later, walking the streets of glory. What are you doing here? I'll wring your scrawny neck. You let that go. Tom Cheney there shot my father to death in Fort Smith and robbed him of two gold pieces and stole his mare. I was informed of Chicago Burnett Grit and I hired him to find the murderer. A few minutes ago, I came upon Cheney watering the horses. Not be taken in charge and I shot him. If I killed him, I would not be now when this fix my revolver misfired. Most girls like to play pretties, but you like guns, do you? I do not care a thing in the world about guns. If I did, I would have when that worked. Seems neither of us is to see Judge Parker. time we reached Bagby's store, my hand had turned black. I was not awake when I lost the arm. The marshal had stayed with me, I was told, till I was out of danger, but he departed before I came round. Once home, I wrote him with an invitation to come by the next time he found himself near Yale County and collect the $50 I still owed him. I did not hear back from Marshal Cogburn, and he did not appear. Then, one day, I received a note from the marshal with a flyer enclosed. He said he was traveling with the Wild West show, getting older and fatter. Would I like to come visit him when the show came to Memphis and swap stories with an old trail mate? He would understand if the journey were too long. It grieves me to tell you that you have missed Rooster. He passed away three days ago when the show was in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Buried him there in the Confederate cemetery. Thank you, Mr. Younger. I had the body removed to our plot, and I have visited it over the years. No doubt people talk about that. They say, well, she hardly knew the man. Isn't she a cranky old maid? It is true, I have not married. I never had time to fool with it. Time just gets away from us. <clears throat> I had to be real specific when I determined what I was going to focus on because there is so much. This could be a series. But I decided to just narrow it down a little bit for sake of time. Now, let's start with the foundation. And anything that has to do with the God of Scripture must be true. That's my premise today. We serve a God of truth. He cannot lie. So anything or anyone that opposes or sets itself against God's word is deception or is liar or lying. Just because a movie like this one happens to use a, uh, has Christian hymns on its soundtrack and a few references to God and scripture does not make it a Christian or a movie that's based on a Christian worldview. So what is true in true grit? 
Every movie espouses a particular worldview, and I don't know if you have these discussions after you've gone to see a movie with your children and you say, what do you think were some of the themes in there that were actually biblical, that were actually true because they were based on Scripture? Well, sometimes we have these discussions, uh, but we are as Christians, are we not to test the spirits to see if they are from God? Are we not? Are we to not understand that what comes into our minds, our ears, and with our eyes, we should be determining whether or not it is true and rejecting those things which are false, even in the movies, because it is not just entertainment. There is nothing morally neutral about entertainment. So we have to look at these things. And I want to, if we can have this on the screen, um, what is a worldview? Do we have that? Or do we go down? Okay, I guess we don't. Let me just give you what my definition of a worldview is. It is a basic assumption that everyone holds to. Let's go to the next one, if we could. Maybe he spilled coffee on his keyboard. There we go. (laughs) Basic assumptions that everyone holds to consciously or subconsciously about the fundamental makeup of the world. I want you to see that. Consciously or subconsciously. We may not be able to articulate a worldview, but we got one. And not just believers. Everyone who is in this world has a particular view of the world. Some of these assumptions may be true. Some of them may contain some truth, or some may be entirely false. Well, this film really kind of helped me out because you don't have to look far in order to see what the worldview is or to hear the worldview. Maddie actually states it in the very beginning. In the opening scene, as you see that, I love that uh, as the shot moves closer to her father laying there as the snow is coming down in the soft light and, Ch- and Chaney riding by, she does a voiceover, which you've heard. No doubt Chaney fancies himself as scot-free, but he is wrong. You must pay for everything in this world one way or another. There's nothing free except the grace of God. Now, the question is, is that true? Is that true? Let's leave those up there if you wouldn't mind, uh, unless you're having some computer problems. (laughs) Um, I want to focus particularly on that first part of the statement because I don't have time to elaborate on the the part that says there is nothing free except the grace of God. Thank you. Is it true that we must pay for everything in this life one way or another? Is that true according to the Word of God? Well, let me give you a little quiz. If we could have the first one, true or false? This statement that she made presumes some type of moral accountability for our actions. And you don't have to say it out loud, but true or false, that we must pay for everything in this life one way or another. Is that true? that there is some type of moral accountability for all human actions, true or false. Next one. True or false, the statement that she made presumes that everyone is under moral accountability. Adam, what do you think? I just did. Is it true that everyone is under this moral accountability? You don't have to answer. I'm just giving you a hard time. No, I think your eyes were starting to shut. I just wanted to wake you up. (laughs) Is everyone under this moral accountability? Yes or no? All right. Number three, this statement of Maddie's that everyone must pay for what they do one way or another presumes that at some point in our lives there will be some type of retribution for everything we did. Now, let me help you with this one, because retribution usually means to those, to most of us, of something negative. But th- look at what the definition is. It's when we judge someone worthy of reward or punishment based on their actions. 
It's actually at the bottom of the playbill. If we can show the next slide, if you see that, if you even, any of the playbills, that's a big one, that's a billboard, but if you see it, it says retribution. Well, God is a God who, who is a God of retribution. It doesn't just mean that he is going to, to um, inflict his judgment on those, his wrath on those who have sinned against him. It also means reward because the word literally means retribute. I'm retributing to you. I'm giving you tribute for what you've already done, whether good or ill. So are the three questions true, false, half and half? Well, I believe that based on a Christian worldview that all three of those are true. Biblically, it's true. Let me give you a few examples. And again, I don't have time to elaborate on the theology of, um, or anthropology of the, the doctrine of um, uh, human nature. But therefore, let's look at 1 Corinthians 4. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. There is a theology that, we, that the, the scriptures teach that we are all going to be called to give an account of what we have done, whether good or ill. And Paul develops that quite at length in 1 Corinthians. Let's look at Deuteronomy 32. Vengeance is mine, this is a very popular one, and retribution. In t- due time, their foot will slip, for the day of their calamity is near. In other words, there's also a theme that what we think we may be getting away with or others may be getting away with, they're not. It is a biblical theme. So yes, the film opens with a theologically correct statement. And maybe in your small group discussions this week, you can go to the next part of that statement, which is, there is nothing free except the grace of God. Um, Because I can just think of what your minds are going through now. Well, I think there are things that are free. Um, Well, deal with that. Talk about it. It's a good little segue. Um, Now, at this point, I could end the sermon. We could all go home and feel pretty good about ourselves. Great clips, really felt entertained, feel good about myself. Yeah, God is a God of retribution. Everybody's going to be held accountable. Amen, brother, preach it. (laughs) Well, we're not done. (laughs) Uh, Here's why. Because God did not give us his word in order to inform us. Because that's about as far as we've gotten to this morning. But it is to transform us. Amen? Now, and you may not have amen to that's okay. Because if we look at the scriptures, as James says, it's like looking at our face in the mirror, and if it's something on our face, if there's something between our teeth, and we walk away without having fixed it, that's not what the Word of God is all about. It's about helping us to see us, our, ourselves as God sees us and, and, and respond accordingly. And said, I want to be like you. I want to know you. I want you to point out to me how I have erred, how I have missed the mark, how I, how, how I have not been like your son, and, and change through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Not for the sake of doing it cosmetically, but for it to come from the soul, from within. So this movie draws the distinction, and this is where I want to go on here, between those who are wicked and deserving of death and those who are righteous. Because you have Tom Chaney and his posse, and then you have Rooster Cogburn and his posse. So you have this group that's fleeing from the law. Then you have this group that is pursuing the lawless. So we basically have team righteousness and team wicked if you will. But biblically, who are the murderers and who are the righteous? Biblically. Well, we don't have to go very far. Um, Jesus put an end to this very quickly because of some that he was speaking to who felt that their own, they had this righteousness based on works, based on how often they prayed and how much they prayed and, and who they were with and how they wore their robes and how many feasts they observed and how their diet was all in accordance with the letter. But they totally missed the spirit behind it. We see in uh, Matthew 5, Jesus just levels the field. 
He says, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. And people are, I can just see him in the crowd. I can commit murder. I'm not a murderer. However, whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty. Guilty before the court. Have you ever gotten angry? Maybe on your way to church, which is usually an ideal time for you to have this lively discussion with your spouse or your children. Um, we're all guilty, every one of us. And let's go further. Matthew 5, 27 and 28, which is not up there. Um, I didn't put it up there. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. <laughs> I've never cheated on my wife. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed murder, or excuse me, adultery with her in his heart. See, the law of, of God is now written here. It's not on tablets of stone anymore. Have you been an adulterer? I have. Many, many times. I'm guilty. I am guilty before God. Conclusion, I'm Tom Cheney. So are you. I'm Tom Cheney. I'm the murderer. I deserved to be tried for murder and adultery. I deserve to be dropped from the end of the hangman's noose. I am guilty. My only hope was for Judge Parker in the movie where the judge of all the earth to step aside and give himself and pay the penalty and go on that hangman's platform and have his neck stretched for me. That's it. Because he's the judge. He determines retribution. Now the question is, and this is where the application comes home to me, as I watched this, I had to watch it several times, and I thought, you know, I'm looking at all, I'm, I'm finding it entertaining, but I'm thinking to myself, Lord, what, are you, what have you embedded in this? And I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but sometimes I, it takes me a while for it to hit me. And then I realized this, having been set free from the law of sin and death, which I am through Christ, how will I treat others? I who have been saved, I've been released from the penalty, from the penalty of being a lawbreaker from the bondage of sin and death and judgment and hell. Will I seek vengeance on those who have sinned against me? It is, is directly out of the law. You have this written up here on the top of your, above your stage, love God, love others. Um, interesting, we'll talk about that in a minute. Let me just talk about this a little bit. Um, I have a quote in my office because at Front Range Christian, I um, usually students who have violated school policy law come to see me. I'm kind of the angel of death. Every one of you students at your school, you know who you go to if you've violated school policy. Well, that's me. And it's, it's a love-hate relationship. It's a love relationship because it's, there's no better time to teach spiritual formation than, and to examine a child's heart than when they are in conflict and they express it through their actions. At the same time, I don't like it because it makes me the adversary in their lives, and I'm not that. I don't want to be that. But I have this quote, and if we can put it up there, it's on my wall. When you're the offended, you're a truth person. When you're the offender, you're a grace person. I want you to look at that. Let it soak in a little bit. kind of getting it? Uh, it takes a while. It took me a while. You're offended. Somebody comes to my office, and they've been hurt by someone else. They've been offended. 
What is it all about for them? I saw them do it. I got witnesses. They need to come in here and face you. It's all about the truth. Retribution. What about if you're the offender and you come to see me? What are you hoping for? For me to throw the book at him? You're out of here. You aren't worthy to call yourself a Christian. How dare you be in a Christian school? Then I'd be thrown out of school. No, not, of course not. What do they want? They want grace. Please don't respond to me according to what I've done. You see how that works? So which side are we on? Which side am I on? I know which side I'm on. I'm the offender. I come to God and say, I've got this laundry list. I am so messed up. I, I got problems. Somehow my wiring is disconnected. I, 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 I claim to love you, and yet I act as though you don't exist. <laughs> I'm an adulterer, and I'm a murderer. Well, take a look at a passage with me. It's not on the screen. If you have your Bibles, I didn't uh, put it up there. I just want to read it. This has had the most profound impact on my life, this narrative. Luke chapter 7, if you would. Luke chapter 7, starting with verse 36. It's rather lengthy, but it's, I need to read this. Because I want to see what it, what it, how it looks for somebody who's the offender, how they respond to the grace of God. And those of you that have been raised in a Christian home, by the way, I want you to listen especially careful, because I was, and I'm very thankful for that. But what it did to me, not what it did, that's too strong, it inoculated me against understanding this. Let's see a, a woman who understood that she needed grace and how she responded. Luke 7, 36, starting with verse 36. Luke 7, 36. Now, one of the Pharisees was questioning Jesus, to di- requesting Jesus to dine with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. Interesting how everybody else knew she was a sinner. And when she learned that, and when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume, standing beside him at his feet, weeping. She kept wiping them with, with her tears. Excuse me. She kept... Let me start again. I just got bifocals, by the way. <laughs> Either they're not working or my eyes are not working. Let me try this again. She learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she she kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, she said to himself, she said, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who's touching him that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I've got something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Which of them, therefore, will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you've judged correctly. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, You see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time she came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, and this is the key, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. 
but he who is forgiven little loves little. Now, I don't know about you, but until I was probably in my 30s did I start to begin to get it. Because I didn't go through a rebellious period. I never was attracted to smoking, drinking. I, didn't, I wasn't sexually active. I didn't think that I deserved or needed anybody to die for me. But I went through the Christian routine. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And what that does is it produces a sense of arrogance. It produces a sense of self-maintenance. Uh, you don't have to worry. God, you're in. You're in the camp. It's fun hanging around Christians. It's, you know, church is cool. Youth group is great. I didn't have any sense of who I was. The, the Word of God did not penetrate to the core of my soul. I didn't realize that I deserved death, even though I didn't do anything that would be considered outwardly rebellious, but God knows my heart. And he knows that I went underground with it. I call it white-collar sin. There are things that we do. We can communicate to people. We can present ourselves as holy, as righteous, doing the Christian thing. But God did not save us in order to put a veneer of righteousness over us. He, he, he came to bring us from death into life. I was dead, and he made me alive. But I didn't understand that. And therefore, my love for him was not from the heart because I didn't get that. He who has been forgiven much, she knew she was a sinner. The whole town knew she was a sinner. I should hang that thing around my neck that says, I'm a sinner. But by the grace of God, I've been redeemed. I've been brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I've been saved from death and brought into the... I, I was blind and ignorant and dumb and, and didn't want God. I didn't care for him. I hated him. And after all of that, he pursued me. And this is, this is what I want you to get this morning, please. That I... And this, this is where the movie just gripped me. I was an outlaw. I was the fugitive of the law of God. Having broken the law, God pursued me into outlaw territory. He went into the wild by coming to live among outlaws and offering himself in my place on the hangman's platform. What a beautiful image that is in the movie. And I hope you see that if you ever see it again. Cheney is me and you. But I have a God who said, I will go there. I will go into lawlessness. I will become lawlessness. I will become those, be like those around me without sin, but without sin. And I will pursue you, not to take you to trial, but I'm going to take you back, and I'm going to say, you know something? You deserve to hang. But guess what? Not today. I'm going to get up there on that platform, and I will take the punishment for your sin upon myself. Now, this is such a basic fundamental message of the Christian faith, is it not? But how profound is this? Because you will not love God, and you will not love others until, and I will not, and to the degree that you do not and I do not understand my need for forgiveness, my need for the grace of God. Does that make sense? I mean, you may have heard that over and over and over again, but let that be what you think about the rest of this afternoon. He was executed for my crimes against him. That's the truth of true grit, one of them. John or Joseph Scriven in 1855 he wrote that hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, which you hear throughout the film. And I'm just wondering if Joseph Scriven ever witnessed a hanging. And he witnessed these men, women condemned to die, talk about, I wish I had. Or there are people out there a lot worse than me. Well, they were all as bad as him. Yeah, they deserved to be up there with him. But I wonder when he wrote, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, All Our Sins and Griefs to Bear. What are all our sins and grief? He bore them. By his wounds, I was healed. 
What a privilege now to carry everything to God in prayer. That's the message. That's the truth of true grit. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for being a God who has indeed gone west of Fort Smith. You did not let the frontier keep you from coming after me. Father, I know this, is, this, has been, this has been preached. I know Pastor Lanting has taught this. Other pastors here, they have taught this. And we can never get tired of hearing it. We shouldn't. Because, Lord, we deserve to be pursued. Or we deserve to be hung. We deserve your wrath. We deserve to be separated from you forever because we have violated your law. We have acted as though you do not exist. We could care less. But you found us. You wooed us back to yourself. And Father, if there's someone in this room today who's never discovered that you are a God who pursues, that they would stop running. They would let you embrace them, love them, clothe you with the righteousness of your son Jesus. And they would be found. And yet you'd bring them back so that you can enjoy them forever. Father, for those of us who have been in the faith, and especially I think about those who have been raised in a Christian environment and have a heart that is not right with you, that is in rebellion, Lord, help us to understand that the grace that has been poured out upon us when once we were sinners, and that's when you demonstrated your great love for us for going to the cross. And Father, we want to love you with all of our heart, but we will not love you in any more in proportion than what we've been forgiven and that we realize it. So, Father, help us to understand that today. Bring that anew to our heart and that we might love you and love others in such a way that is, boy, we have been redeemed. We have been saved. We have been captured. We have been taken back from the enemy. Thank you, Father. I praise you for that. Um, Help me to live accordingly and love you out of a grateful and thankful heart. And I'll ask this, and we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. As you leave today, um, as you know, I have a tradition of always playing some music from the 80s. So I think we have Bon Jovi, Wanted Dead or Alive. So thank you guys for coming. You're dismissed. (laughs) 